How many of you think that in the midst of all that's going on, the craziness of 2020, God is still large and in charge? God is still healing, God is still moving, and, uh, and God is still blessing. How many of you believe that? Wave at me if that's the truth. All right, I believe that with all my heart. I want to welcome all of you, and I want to welcome everybody that's watching online with us this morning. We want to welcome everybody in our overflow area as well uh, as one big happy family here this morning. I'm going to jump right into the Word because we have a powerful morning planned And I blame the Lord on that one, uh, but it's a good morning. In the midst of all this going on, and we're not going to take the time this morning to rehearse it all, we know you're watching the news, and we know you're on social media, we know that uh, we're all grieved and heavy with what's happening right now in this nation. Um, But how many of you know it doesn't do us any good to talk about all this wrong? We need to talk about the solution, and the solution is found in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to magnify this morning as we've been together. You know, I've been amazed uh, as we were seeking God coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? I was just saying, Lord, what do we, what do, we do? And that's when the Lord dropped in my spirit the word moving forward. It's a time to move forward. God is always moving forward into situations. How many of you know the call of the church is not to shrink back from problems, but we're actually to go toward the problems. We're to be solution uh, bringers to situations. And so God encouraged us to move forward. We talked about how uncertain times demand a degree of uncertain courage. How many of you know we need courage in this hour? Amen? Y'all can amen me back this morning. I need to talk to me. All right. We need courage in this hour to deal with the situations that are in front of us. We talked about how important it is to have convictions that we need to love what is good. We need to hate what's evil. Can I get an amen on that? And so I just want to encourage us this morning. Um, If anybody understands and knows about oppression, how many of you know the the number one group in all of human history that has experienced the sting of oppression and racial injustice are the Jews? Right now we're we're looking from Moses in the book of Exodus, 430 years God's people have gone attacked uh, in Egypt, and that's not to mention everything that's happened in more recent history. How many of you realize that as equal as the, pan- the global pandemic of COVID-19 was, there has been a global pandemic of racial injustice and hurt throughout history? And we need to understand why, because it's bigger than black and white. That's the issue before us in America. And I get it. We could go into that. I get it. Uh, I understand that situation. But what we tried to highlight on our podcast this week, which I hope you checked checked it out, when I had Amra and Andrew with me, we had three three ethnic backgrounds right there. Uh, But we were talking about how Satan's strategy all throughout human history is he is the great divider. Can I get an amen on that? If, if, if people are being separated in hatred and violence and animosity, that's not obviously the work of the Holy Spirit. There's an agenda at work there. That is the work of Satan all the time. Satan hates God's people. He hates people made in the image and likeness of God. And Satan is the great divider. And so when you're looking at what's going on in our nation today, you realize that, I mean, you know, there's lots of agendas out there, and I just want to talk about that in just a second. Everybody's using whatever crisis we have in America right now to push an agenda. Everybody say agenda. You want to make sure you are not co-opted for an agenda. Sometimes people say, well, how, how come we're not seeing pastor responding to this on Facebook? Let me tell you why. Because I'm smarter than you.
you don't deal with highly volatile, deeply emotional, passionate things that are pushing on people's pain in 20 words on Facebook. But nothing has changed in this place. And I just want to encourage you this morning, even as Amra said, I'm not speaking for black America. I am one black man with my own unique story. Andrew said, I'm not speaking for Asian Americans because I'm one Asian man with a unique Asian experience. I said, I'm not speaking for white America because white America doesn't exist. White America is made up of white people who all have different stories. And can I just say this, I'm speaking this morning as the pastor at Living Stones Church, and Living Stones Church does not represent the church because every church has its own unique expression in DNA, but I'm speaking for this church this morning, and I'm just telling you, this church is all about kingdom, this church is all about racial unity and harmony, this church is for modeling what that looks like in a broken culture, that's the way we rolled from the beginning, that's the way we're rolling right now, and let me just tell you, if you're your pastor's not jumping on any agenda. It's because nothing has changed in this heart. I love people. We love people. We love Jesus. We're promoting Jesus. That's who we are. That's the way we've been rolling from the beginning. That was reminded this week, in case you have forgotten, this is the spiritual presbytery over this church. We have a black man from Nigeria who lives and churches in the Bronx. We have a Cajun man from the swamps of Louisiana. And we have a street kid with five different fathers who grew up on the streets of Philly. All of them have one thing in common. His name is Jesus. They've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's who's leading us. We are meant to be a visible tangible expression of a greater solution to a problem than what the world is currently putting forward. I was laying in bed, tossing and turning. My heart was just grieving for what's going on in America. And again, it's not the size. It's, it's the whole picture. Grieving for it all. I mean, you know, we should be grieving over the sin of racism because it's just that. It's sin and it's evil. We should grieve over it. We should be grieving over injustice because injustice is the opposite of God whose throne is established in justice and righteousness. So every form of injustice causes us to be angry. Not just certain colors forms of injustice. All injustice. We should be grieving over lawlessness because lawlessness comes from the devil himself and lawlessness destroys we should be grieving over destruction. We should be grieving over all the above. And we should certainly be grieving over the racial pain that has been stirred up in this country once again. It's all the above. So I'm laying in bed, tossing and turning. I'm crying out to God, God, give me wisdom to lead. God, give me wisdom what to do. And this is what I heard in the early morning hours, the Holy Spirit speaking. How I many you know the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus? This is what I heard as loud as could be in my spirit. Magnify Jesus. Magnify Jesus. Because here's what happens, and I want to drive this home. We're not here this morning to preach on trendy things. We're here this morning to preach about timeless things, eternal things, things that don't change, things that have stability. And so our job as believers is not to get your talking points from the world. 
You don't get your talking points from activist organizations. You don't get your talking points from political parties. You get your talking points from the truth of the Word of God that deals with the, dip, the, with the depths of the situations that we're facing here in America today. So I'm, I'm rejecting all these frameworks and labels and all these agendas. Everybody's pushing their agenda. Have you forgotten we have an election looming in November? We're going to have agenda, 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 agenda all the way till November. Get used to it. But don't be influenced by it. That's the message I'm trying to tell you. We have a sin problem in America that's masquerading as a skin problem. A sin problem masquerading as a skin problem. And we need to make sure we can separate the two. Right now we have a situation I want to remind you that we are one family here in Christ Jesus. Our identity does not come from the color of our skin. It comes from our identity in Jesus Christ. Look at what the Bible says in Acts 17 verse 26. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole world. Everybody say one man. We might have different shades of pigmentation, but this is the truth, and this is the truth the world needs to hear. We all come from the same father. We all have the same dad. The problem is we're born in sin, and when we're born in sin, we also have the same father. His name's Satan, and he's a slave master. So can I just tell you something? We've all been slaves. That's the common ground at the foot of the cross. Slaves to sin, slaves to selfishness, slaves to our own agenda. And can I just tell you this? If we took the time in this room to hear each of your stories, there would be one thing in common. Every single one of us on planet Earth has been wounded by another human being. Am I speaking the truth? We've all been wounded. And you know what happens when you get wounded? and you don't deal with those wounds? You, get, you start wounding other people. Hurt people hurt people. That's the way it works. And so guess what happens when you have hurt people hurting people for multiple generations? You have this amazingly deep and powerful stronghold of pain. And what does Satan do? One of Satan's great names is the Lord of the Flies. Flies are attacked, attached to woundedness. Flies always go after woundedness. How do we heal the woundedness in America? Do we heal the woundedness by hurting other people? Do we heal the woundedness by striking back? Do we heal the woundedness with anger and vengeance and, and all that kind of stuff? Is that how you heal woundedness? No, it's not how we heal woundedness. There's only one person big enough to heal woundedness. His name is Jesus. And can I just tell you this? Jesus is not going to let his glory be stolen by activist movements, political parties, ideologies, because those are counterfeit answers to the problem. The solution to the problem is we need a heart change. We need a family change. We, we need to become a part of a different culture. We need to become part of a different identity. We need to become part of a people who have all experienced the radical transformation that Pastor Andrew talked about last week of encountering God at a burning bush. Everybody needs one of those kinds of experiences in their life. I want to tell you this morning when you're wounded, one of the first things that manifests in your heart is you begin to feel like you don't belong. And can I just tell you this? If some of you... In this place, in our church family, this week, it felt like you don't belong. I can tell you where that comes from. It comes from the devil himself. Because this is the message that Jesus says, we belong. We fit. We're family. You're loved. You're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're united. How about this? The bloodline of Jesus is much stronger than any racial bloodline. 
And we are all part, the Bible says, of one blood. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he brought together the communities on earth. And I'm going to end with this because we're going we're gonna to do some tag team preaching this morning. Uh, and I want you to hear from some of our leaders, all right? Some of our leaders who have done an amazing job pastoring and shepherding during this time. But I want to tell you this. The racial issue and the bigger issue of racial harmony and racial unity are not issues that are are tangential to the gospel. They are issues that are right in the heart of the gospel. And I want you to see this. In Revelation chapter 5, the Bible says this, By the blood of Jesus, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I want you to get this. This is so important. God Almighty paid the ultimate price for racial harmony. That price was his son. The beaten, blood-stained body of Christ nailed to that cross was God's heart and God's payment for our sin and disunity so that, hear this, so that heaven will be a place where all the nations are together, worshiping Jesus, loving each other. And can I tell you something else? Hell will be a place where all the nations are at each other's throats forever. That's hell. If you want to see what hell looks like, just look at certain places in our country. That's what hell will be like. Heaven is where we're coming together, all the nations, with one common uh, unity, all right, which is the passion and love for the Son of God. Are you with me? If God was willing to spend that kind of investment so that we could be together, how many of you know racial unity is the very heartbeat of the gospel? And I want to say this. When you come together on Sunday morning, this place should look like heaven. How many of you know we got a little bit of that this morning, all right? Uh, thank God for David. He'll be up here in just a moment sharing with you. Thank God for the taste of all the beautiful nations of the world. Why do we go to the unreached? Because God loves the nations of the world, all of them. So I want to introduce a dear friend of mine. We've been friends now for 16 years. He's been serving you and loving you along with his precious wife and family in this place as an elder and as a life group leader. And I want you to give the biggest Living Stones round of applause you can for Amra Pandiyangi as he makes his way up here. Amra! <laughs> Love you. Thank you, Pastor. Praise God. That was an awesome word, wasn't it? I'm going to do my best to pick up from that. Um, pray for me. Pray for me. Um, and on that note, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use me as your mouthpiece this morning to deliver your word and revelation to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about kingdom identity and kingdom perspective. Um, and before we get into that, I just want to say one, one quick thing. And I mentioned this the first service. So Everybody's got a cell phone out there, right? Everybody got a cell phone. And every cell phone there is a notes app. Open it up. Take notes. Um, we're going to start off talking about Jesus. Because if we're talking about kingdom identity and kingdom perspective, we have to first talk about the one who ushered in the kingdom. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So jumping straight into it, going to Colossians 3.1. Got that up there? Through 4. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. 
For you died and your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. Where Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when we go back to this and we just look at the scripture here, it says that Christ is seated seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says that your life, our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus. Right? Everybody tracking with me? Good? Okay. Going now to Ephesians 1, 20 through 21. It says, which he worked, I'm dropping down a little bit here, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So again, we have consistency in the word, right? So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all powers and principalities, or principalities and powers, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Christ Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, got that right? Okay, you guys can talk back at me. Um, we, I like participation. Um, we are hidden in Christ Jesus, right? Says that. Yes? Okay. Um, and he is far above all powers and principalities, mights, and dominions. Right? We're tracking. Okay, good. Um, so I'm going to tell a story of how that applied to my life. Uh, when I say roughly around 2006, 2007, um, I was new to Northwest Indiana, had taken my first job as an insurance salesman, and my territory was all of Northwest Indiana. I ended up out in Knox, Indiana, and I'd never been out in Knox before. I didn't know much about Knox. So we're driving around in Knox, and we're, and we're collecting premiums for the commercial businesses in the area. And so we go to this one mechanic shop, and we walk in there, myself and my manager, who's an older African-American man, and we walk in, and we're talking to this, this couple who owns the shop, and they're from East Chicago, they tell us, and there's a young man, African-American man, behind the register working the register, and they tell us, yeah, you know, so-and-so, we, we brought him into our family, we're from East Chicago, his mother was addicted to drugs, we were really, really good friends, and she needed to seek treatment, so we decided to take him in. I'm like, man, that's, that's an awesome thing that you guys are doing. So, and they said, however... We just want you guys to know that shortly after we opened our shop, some of the people from the town out in Knox, Indiana, came to us and said, if you don't get that N-word out of your store, we're going to shut you down. And they're telling me this and my manager. And we're both looking at them like, really? So that's how it is out here. And they said, yeah, that's, that's how it is out here. So obviously, I was a little bit concerned and, and you know, kind of took a little bit of my piece away working that territory because I was called to continue to work out there. That was my job um, after that. And, and needless to say, I had a little bit of anxiety in me when I was working out in that territory. So let's fast forward. Okay. So I got, I, I was able to be blessed to get a better job, making more money, not working in Knox anymore. And then that job came to an end and I ended up in a position where I was unemployed for roughly about two months. So I had exceeded or actually met my last unemployment check. And right when I hit that last unemployment check, my wife and I, we just happened to be going to the store. We're driving toward the mall and we're driving down 30. And I had just applied to a job, uh, just sent my resume off probably maybe an hour prior to this drive. And we're driving down. We cross Mississippi. And I tell Dawn, I'm like, you know what? I, I feel like I th- I'm pretty sure that job, that place that I just applied at is like right down that street, right down Mississippi. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, you know what? You need to go home right now, put your suit on, grab your resume and walk in there and give it to him. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, I really feel like you need to do that. And I'm like, well, I just applied to it. She's like, hey, I feel like you need to do this. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't have a job. So I might as well go and put my suit on and (laughs) come back with my resume. So 
I did that. So I walk in there with my resume and I'm like, all right, God, I'm, I'm listening to my wife here. So husbands, listen to your wives, listen to your wives. Um, I walk in there with my resume and I hand it to the customer service rep. She takes it. She looks at me and she's like, can I help you? And I'm like, well, I, I emailed over my resume and I just want to make sure you guys received it. And she looks at me and she's like, okay, have a seat over there. So I have a seat. And then she goes back into this office. She comes back out. She's like, well, do you have a few minutes to, to interview? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so she's like, well, you know what? The regional manager's here right now. The manager's here. The regional manager just happens to be in, in here from Indianapolis. So you're going to go on in there. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. So, so I walk in there. I sit down with them. I tell them my story. I interview. And they hire me on the spot. And I, yeah, praise God. Um, so I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is so awesome. This is all God. Like Dawn and I were talking about and just, this is, this is so God because I wouldn't have just done that randomly, but she felt it on her heart. I was obedient, realizing God can speak through my wife to me. And here we are. So fast forward, I'm sitting down with the manager and I'm like, okay, where's my territory? And he's giving me my territory. And I'm in Maryville, I'm in Hobart, I'm in Crown Point, I'm in Portage, I'm in Valparaiso, I'm in Michigan City, and I'm in Knox. And I'm like, all right, guys, so I'm gonna go back to Knox, okay. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, how is this gonna work, right? I, I'm a black man, I'm out in Knox. I remember the story that was told to me a couple years ago. I have to produce out there. I'm in sales. Like, I got to sell out here in this hostile environment. So what am I going to do? So I am becoming anxious and like I was before when I was out there in Knox driving around because I'm realizing not just that I have to do my job, but there's a lot hanging on it. You know, I'm the primary breadwinner at the time in my family. I got to do my job. So I'm driving out there and I'm all in my head. And as I drive into Knox, I'm just thinking like, somebody's going to snatch me up and take me out into the cornfield over there and my wife's never going to see me again. Like, that's what's going to happen to me. And so as I'm driving around in Knox and I'm looking around, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder like, hey, who, who, who's, who's coming to get me? And needless to say, I had a terrible day. I go home, come back the second time, and I'm driving into the city again and I'm, I'm driving in town again. And, and anybody that's ever been to Knox, you know that it's like from 30 and then it's like, what, like, I don't know, a few miles, like five, six miles, and then you get to Knox. And... And then so I'm, I'm driving from 30 into Knox and I'm like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, how, how is this going to work? And the Lord says to me, Amara, who got you the job? And I said, well, you did, Lord. I, I just got, told you guys the story, right? That was God. And he's like, well, who's your provider? And I'm like, well, you are, Lord. And he's like, all right, then, Amara, if you will let me go first, let me go before you. And as you go into that town, Go into that town first as a man of God, then as a black man, then as an African-American man, and then as a man who likes science fiction movies and whatever else there is about you personally. If you go first as a man of God, I'll take care of the rest. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to do that because you're God and you're smarter than me and I really don't know how else this is going to work. And so needless to say, I worked there roughly about five years in that account in Knox, which is a very small town as far as economically, it's not an economically bolstering town, ended up being my number one account in all my territories in Northwest Indiana. And, and this is God because it, it's not something that I could have manufactured. Matter of fact, I ended up getting roughly about 90% of the market share because there's not that much business. In order for it to be my number one account, I had to get almost all the business out of there. So God not only said, not only am I going to take you into a 
hostile environment, if you let yourself be known first as a man of God, not only will I prosper you there, but I'll prosper you beyond your expectations. And that's exactly what he did. So when I, what, what does this have to do with what I shared earlier? This is all about perspective. It's all about your identity and who you are in Christ Jesus. So if each and every one of us prays this prayer, which is paramount to this, and that is, Lord, give me eyes to see and give me ears to hear. If you are praying that prayer, what God is going to do is allow you to begin to see beyond yourself, beyond your pain, beyond your hurts, beyond your wounds, beyond your experiences, beyond your knowledge, because all of us are exceedingly abundantly limited in our ability to understand situations and circumstances. Most of us don't even know our own hearts, let alone the hearts of people that we judge on a daily basis. So if I pray this prayer, Lord, give me eyes to see and ears to hear, he's going to let me see beyond my own perception, beyond my own experiences, beyond my prejudices and beyond the stereotypes, beyond my knowledge. And I'll begin to see as a man and woman of God. So if I go into these situations, understanding Jesus Christ, I'm hidden in you. You're raised high above all powers and principalities like racism. Racism is a principality. So now if I'm functioning as a man or woman of God and I got my mind set on my position, which is next to Christ Jesus, high above all powers and principalities, if I let my lead foot be focused on someone's race or ethnicity or skin color or socioeconomic status, am I not bringing myself underneath the principality? So as a man or woman of God, our job is to, be, is to function as we are, and that's high above those powers and principalities. And the only way to do that is to pray that prayer, Lord, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. He'll show you where you're doing it. You repent for it, and he will begin to show you things that you've never seen before. And this is where life becomes enriched, and we become enriched because we open ourselves up to the value and, and, and the richness in each other. So... I just, I just leave you with that word, Pastor. I think I'm, am I good? Did I go over again? I did first service. Um, <laughs> but there's so much, guys. And if you pray this prayer, I, I, again, I implore you to pray this prayer. Know, who, know where you are. You are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, high above all powers and principalities. There are no victims within the kingdom of God. Come on. That's all the victims. truth. That's Thank the you. truth. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's some good preaching. So we have a kingdom culture. We have a kingdom identity that transcends race. And thirdly, we need to have some kingdom hearts. And I can't think of anybody I'd love to hear more release his heart to us than somebody you all know around here does not need an introduction. Thank God for the spice he brings on Sunday mornings and worship. Come on, give it up for David Wald and his precious family. David! Good morning, good morning. So, thanking God for this opportunity. When Pastor called me, I said, oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, when you get into the mode and your mood, that's something God has called you to. It's a great thing. So, I want to um, highlight a, um, the kingdom culture is what we're talking about, the kingdom identity. And now we're going to talk about the kingdom heart. So, you know, I'm very passionate sometimes. 
But there is, a, there is a kingdom heart that God is requiring of us. And so today I want to implore you on what that should look like, what that kingdom heart should be like. And, I, and the only thing that I can remember that reminds me of how we need to step beyond our racial uh, identity on our driver's license and move to the citizenship of the kingdom is a story about my father. He's, I am a son of a police officer. So imagine seeing all that is happening and the attacks and then the injustice. And I'm saying, that's not what I know as policing. And I thought to myself, I said, Lord, just show me what, I, what, what it is that you want me to share. And it was 1998. I am one of nine children. My dad. <laughs> I know you would clap about that. <laughs> so I am one of nine. And so. My dad, he's entering into 1998. He's on his way to the police academy. But it's the week of police academy. And um, he's on his way. He's got sworn in by the sheriff. And he's got his badge. He's got his gun. He's on his way. And just so happened, the week before he leaves, he says, David, he brought us some brand new 20-speed bikes. He says, I need y'all to put those in the garage. Keep them out the house. We're like, Daddy, they're going to get stolen in the garage. They were going around stealing in every garage, teenagers being stupid. So it's, I'm saying, Daddy, don't, we don't want to do that. They're going to steal it tonight, like tonight, not tomorrow. Sure enough, wake up in the morning, the bikes are gone. And my dad, I'm saying, Pops, they stole our bikes. And he's like, I'm going to take care of this. I'm, I'm going to look. And so he goes driving, trying to find our bikes. About 30 minutes later, he pulls up, throws these two bikes in front of us. I caught the guy. He was like three streets over. I said, how did you get these bikes? He says, well, I kind of showed him my gun, and they dropped off of them and ran. (laughs) But I said, these are not our bikes. (laughs) Whose bikes do you have? He's like, they're not your bikes? Man, you bought them. They're not our bikes. He's like, well, go take them back over there. They'll come back. I'm like, I'm not getting shot for nobody. I ain't going over there. So he's, he's still, I'm like, okay. He's, he's still searching because he's a police officer now. And he goes and he finds the house. He says, I seen the bikes in here. I know they're in here. But the police called the police. <laughs> Gary Police Department shows up, sees that he's a sheriff and says, man, what I'm doing here? You got more power than me. And he says, well, I, need, I need to make a report. He says, make a report. Man, you have more authority than I do. And so it's the Sunday before we, on our way out, on his way out to Indiana Police Academy, which was located down in Muncie, Indiana. And there's a pastor who's about 102, 103 years old that comes up to my father. And he says, you a powerful man of God. He says, Okay, Pastor, I received it. He says, you, not only been a, you have not only been anointed by man, but you are anointed by God. You have a double anointing. You are a powerful man of God. Not knowing this is just months before this pastor is going to see Jesus and get his eternal reward. So my dad is now encouraged on a word that he couldn't quite understand. He's tried to 
to use the authority that he had, but not fully understand what authority that looks like. He's got fitness training. He passed a drug test, psychological test. He's done all the things that's necessary to become a police officer in the county. And when he walks in the dorm where he's going to be staying for the whole entire summer, there's a man standing there. Big white man. My dad's only 5'9". I don't know how I got to be 6'4". But he is the father. So I'm just saying, I, I, he walks in and this man says, my daddy is the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan of the state of Indiana. And he goes on to degrade my father about him being a police officer and even rooming with him. And, and as you can imagine, the heart. So my dad is tossing and turning. And the Bible declares this, that the heart of man Things, wicked thoughts, murder, uh, murder, inf uh, infidelity, immoral sins, wickedness in all its ways. And so you can imagine, just as we have been seeing this chaos and how it's feeding into our eyes and hearing in our ears and what immediately you want to do, just like Moses did. He saw an injustice and he killed a man. And my dad is thinking, I'm going to have to kill this guy because he's not only thinking about what he declared, but about the injustice of all his life for things that he never got a chance to repay someone for what had happened to him. And while he's turning and while he's trying to figure out what's next, he hears the word of the man of God. So when you have a kingdom heart, God creates relationship. Through that relationship comes revelation. And so while that revelation is there, he says, you have a double anointing. So at that point, my dad is now having to step out of being a black man from Gary and walk in the authority as a man of God. And God began to give him strategy and procedure on how to overcome evil with love, evil with good. So every morning he seen my father pray. Every morning he seen my father read his Bible. And not that he did that silently, the man get my Bible out of your hands. That don't belong to you. And as he continued and continued and continued to press to show the example, to be the man of God beyond his complex and skin color, it was August, graduation night, and they're standing there, and the man, who's the son of the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, says, I want to give my life to Jesus. <laughs> See, there's power in when you take your citizenship as American, your citizenship in a city or a state, and you elevate to being a citizen of the kingdom, the Bible declares, like David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit in me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Sometimes when we see the things we see, we forget that we're saved. Oh, that don't happen to you? You cuss me out. I only want to cuss you out. But God says, no. So, yes, we can get on social media. Yes, we can begin to argue. And yes, we can begin to protest. Yes, there has been so many things that has been the, 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 the platform that people have used. But if it's not the biblical doctrine of the Jesus Christ, then it's going to be limited. And as my father continued to not only walk as the man of authority in the county, but the man of authority in God's hands, I can remember just going to a musical and the musical director is sitting there. He says, your name David Walton? Yes. Your father police officer? Yes. 
man. He said, man, just a couple years ago, I was overdosed and I wanted to kill myself. Somebody called the police. He said, I've never seen this before, man. He said, he came to the door, prayed for me, rebuking the devil, calling the Satan a liar and calling death to behave. He said, I was, I was restored. I had never seen a man in uniform have the power of God. Today, I'm saved because of that. I'm looking. I, now I'm on my way to the barbershop. I'm getting my hair cut. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, yeah, my name's David Wong. He said, man, your daddy's police officer? Here we go. <laughs> yes. Man, I was drunk. I was on 25th Avenue. Man, they about to tow my car. He said, he grabbed my license. I was wrong. He looked at me, began to prophesy. said, your mama and you got a call on your life. Your mama been praying for you. You got a call on the life. This is not who you are. Today, he's a pastor in Gary. So I'm going to tell you something. That's the difference. When you have a kingdom heart, there is no silence to humanity. You can stop what you're doing and say, Lord, I want the compassion. There's man that's on their way to jail and he's giving them the plan of salvation. There's man that tried to commit suicide in jail and they got full of legions. And he's saying, hey, like the enemy does. You love Jesus. Yes, and I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Praying for men and women where there's domestic violence disputes. Now his officers are calling and saying, we need you to come pray. We don't want nobody going to jail tonight. Pray over this family. This is the difference between having a kingdom heart and just moving into who you are naturally. So I declare today that if you start taking on the citizenship of the kingdom and saying, Lord, as these things stir up in my heart, Lord, I want to scrape it off because I want to be more like you, then there will be no racial divide. Then there will be a godly intervention, and God can turn this situation around. Come on, amen. <laughs> Love you, preacher. You can put it over there. Love you. Put that down there. Thank you. We had some good preaching this morning, huh? <laughs> I had the, David and Amra in my kitchen this week, and uh, we were talking, and it was hot outside, so we moved inside. Marion brought two white towels, and it reminded me of black church, and we all started waving them, shouting hallelujah, wiping our brows. David started preaching. Amra started preaching. I just enjoyed the ride. It was awesome. You know, here's why getting our hearts healed is so important. If your heart is wounded and you fall into a spirit of bitterness or judgment, how many of you know at that point you, have, you no longer have biblical discernment and you fall into a spirit of deception? And there are a lot of people today trying to fix a problem that they have no diagnosis for because they're deceived because they've allowed their hearts to be wounded. You can't love people with purity of heart until you allow Jesus to deal with the racial injustices and pain and the hurts that we've all experienced at some level. I'm not trying to equalize things. I'm just saying we've all been wounded. Whether it, whether it's, I, I prayed with a man this morning, he had wounds that came out of a family situation. We all get all kinds of wounds, not just racial injustice wounds. But the point is, do we got to deal with the wounds? And if you're part of a culture, which I hope you're seeing, we're not just talking about that this morning. I, I, I joked around first service. I didn't just look for two like black guys that happen to go to our church so I can get them on stage so we could be relevant. These are 
men that are part of our team. These are, these are my family. This is our family. These are our brothers. Uh, and they've been with us for decades, all right? Um, so, and I could look around and point out, you know, I, one of the things I love to boast in the Lord in is that in this place, you have been able to witness what a multi-ethnic leadership team and family looks like. And I just want you to hear from my heart, I want that to increase. I want there to be more, 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 more. It's a part of why we go to the nations of the world as well. This is, this is our passion. So I just want to share to everybody, I made some phone calls this week, and my, my phone calls were simply this. We love you in spite of what's going on. We might not understand everything that's going on, but we love you and you belong here. You're accepted here. We are family and we're going to come through this situation. Not only are we going to survive through it, but we're going to thrive through it and we're going to become part of the solution because we have the only answer and his name is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You know, I want to end with a story. And let me just say, we hear that phrase new normal a lot. I feel a little bit rushed this morning, but only because how many of you realize if we're trying to honor the social distancing and we're trying to accommodate growth at the same time, we've run out of space in a hurry. And, uh, and that means that when I say amen, there's 15 minutes before the next cruise coming in, and that's not a lot of time. There's parking lot chaos, there's children's ministry chaos, and so let me just tell you right up front, these are great problems that we're having around here. But they're problems nonetheless, so I hope you feel, feel our, our, our struggle here this morning. But how many of you know this last week, I guess it was two weeks ago now, time's flying, uh, we did a, a webinar with a guy by the name of Irving Roth, 95 years old, something like that, survived through two concentration camps during the Nazi uh, regime, all right? This man shared his story, and this was before all the... Race, racial protests and riots and pain and injustice broke out. This is a story he told to end the, pod, the, the webinar. He said, you know, he talked about the trauma as a teenage boy, early teens, maybe 13 years old, being separated from his family as a boy. Some of his family went off and were exterminated by Hitler and his, his crew. And you can imagine 13 years old, 14 years old, being all by yourself, and having to fend for yourself in a concentration camp of all places. He shared the story that as the war came to an end, that the, the concentration camp heard that the American soldiers were only five miles away. Upon that news, all of Hitler's crew started bolting. They left. And here was this camp, mostly with these young boys, because they separated them because they were young, and they figured they'd get a lot of work out of them. But by this time, these kids were just bones with sagging skin. And Irving Roth said this. He said, we looked up, and in through the gates of that concentration camp came two U.S. Marines or soldiers, a black man and a white man in the same uniform, fighting for the same ideals and for the same nation, and fighting against injustice globally, like we've always stuck. He said when they took one look at us, he said they fell to their knees and they started crying because they'd never seen anything so horrible. And then they realized, we can't sit here crying. We're, we're here to help. So they jumped back to their feet. And they started coming to the aid of these young boys. When I heard that, my heart was just touched. 
Because you know what? That's, that's a vision of a past that doesn't explain the whole past, but it gives a good snapshot of our past. And I'd like to suggest this morning that we need to have visions in front of us for where we're going in the future. And uh, we've always been locked arm in arm as the people of God fighting injustice across the world. I just want to encourage us today as living stones that you know what, we can't solve the world's problems, but guess what you can solve? You can solve the problems in your neighborhood. You can solve the problems with your neighbor. My daughter Katie had a birthday this week. We took her out for breakfast with a our family, some of you saw some pictures we posted. Um, but what I didn't realize is on the way out from our birthday breakfast, Katie did something we've modeled for our kids. She saw a black man sitting by himself having breakfast. She asked the waitress for his ticket. And on her birthday, she bought his food that morning. That's not going to change the whole world overnight. But you know what it does say? It says, you know what? I don't know you, I don't know your story, but I'm aware of the pain that's going on, and I just want you to know somebody in the world loves you, cares for you, and thinks that you're valued. It's those little things that we do on a day-to-day basis that accumulate to leave a massive impact in the places that we live. So I want to encourage you this week, let's be the body of Christ. You're the best hope that this world has. Can I do you something else? Can I encourage you? Bring everybody you can into the four walls of this church and let the Holy Spirit rock them. And let them see people of different colors loving on each other, not because it's protocol, but because we genuinely have relationship. Can I share one more thing with you? Because I'm on a roll here. The problems of our world are not going to be solved in political forums and rallies They're going to be solved sitting at dinner tables, getting to know one another, learning each other's stories, and then beginning to minister to that pain. One last story. I got two minutes. One of our members called me yesterday. He is from a biracial union that never became a marriage was abandoned by his father. He's never known his dad, at least not that well. His dad has never been there for him. He called me up to tell me that his dad was dying, and uh, he was making his way to the hospital to do what good sons, godly sons do, and that's to love and to honor and to give something that you never received but something you receive. <sighs> Called me up the next day, said, I'm going to go back. And I said, let me tell you something. First of all, I said, hold on, because I can't talk because I'm crying. <laughs> He's been loved to life from this place. He's got spiritual dads in his life from this place. And I said this, when you go back to love your father and to minister to your father who was never there for you, please remember that you're doing this for your daughter and for your children who have yet to be born and that you are establishing a foundation of honor and blessing and you're raising up a kingdom expression that you've never experienced in your upbringing, but you're going to get to pass it on.
That's what the kingdom of God does. That's what kingdom culture does. That's what kingdom identity does. That's what kingdom hearts do. We're able to give away stuff that we never received because Jesus gave it to us. Let's be supernatural this week. Let's not do what everybody else is doing. Why don't we listen for what God's doing? Let's do what he's doing.